without a respected line of authority, chaos would simply develop in every part of our existence and every facet of our being. It would be impossible, for example, for a large group of individuals to function efficiently without a chain of command that is not only set up, but one that is recognized and respected. Instead of having a united, coordinated force, it would mean utter chaos, and it would also mean that it would be every man for himself. You know, we look to the example of the military, and we look to the example of soldiers today. They understand right from the very get-go the authoritative structure that is over them. They learn when they come into the military right at boot camp at the very beginning. They learn who is over them. They learn as they move up the chain of command who would be under them. And they are taught from the very get-go that they must submit to the authoritative structure that is over them right from the start. They are taught that delay can be disastrous on the battlefield where speed can mean the difference between life or death, victory or defeat. You know also, a soldier that would question authority and balk at keeping the commands that are over him would easily result in his own death or even also the death of one of their comrades. The military teaches us two things. Two things that I understand is difficult. I do, I understand that. And I also understand that these two things are things that we fall short in. You know, we had a series not long ago on specific things that we can do in this life to successfully live the Christian life. We talked about the fact that oftentimes the question comes up wherever we go. How can I effectively live the Christian life? How can I leave my brothers and sisters at worship and live the Christian life day by day? Then we talked about all the trials and all the things that come our way. And sometimes we've got all of these peripheral issues that are pulling us in every direction known to man. And we talked about exactly what the Apostle Paul said when he says, Be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then how the Apostle Paul said, Submit to these things and meditate on these specific things. You know why? We talk about sermons like that and subjects like that because it truly is, in all reality, difficult to live the Christian life. But tonight I want to talk about something else that's also difficult, and it's also an area that we fall short. Things that we can learn from the military, and that is this. Number one, how to properly submit to authority, and number two, how to exercise the authority that you have over another. You know, this is certainly expressed by this centurion in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 8 and 9. But knowing how to submit to authority will often cause a man to obey the Lord immediately upon hearing the gospel, certainly realizing that delay can be disastrous because warfare, whether carnal or spiritual, requires complete 100% devotion and total concentration to the task at hand. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. These are amazing words of practicality for you and I to look at and glean today. 
He begins by saying this. He begins by establishing there is an authoritative structure as we live as people in the world. And this is what he says. First of all, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He says, this is good. This is right. He said that it might be well with thee. It is wise to do so. And thou mightest live long on the earth. He says, fathers, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. If there is ever a sobering passage of Scripture to me as a father, it is certainly found in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians when Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this as if he were talking to me right now tonight. Frank, this is how you're going to be. This is how you're going to lead your family. This is how you're going to exercise the authoritative role that God has given you in the home to bring my children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He talks about servants, more authoritative structure. And you remember back then they had what we don't have today. They had masters and slaves. And Paul was dealing with people that would obey the gospel and they would be a slave or bound to another. And so what did Paul say? Paul said, servants, you obey your masters in all things just like you're doing it for the Lord himself. But then he goes on to say, oh, and masters, remember this. Exercise proper authority over those subordinates, realizing there is one that is over you, and that is the Lord. But then he says this about this warfare. Because I think it's important for you and I to understand tonight that we are in war. There is a war going on, there is a battle going on, and we cannot live passively, passively in the world with this war going on. The Apostle Paul is surely talking about spiritual warfare. And in the 11th verse of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning there, Paul said this. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The question is this, are you under authority today? Are there people in your life that have the authoritative role over you? And do you have authority over others? When one knows how to exercise proper authority, oh, it's easy to say that you're in an authoritative position. Listen, it's easy to be the boss, isn't it? Isn't it true when we're young? One of the things we long for the most is to be the boss. Because when we're kids, everybody tells us what to do. Everybody. 
Your parents tell you what to do. You go to school, they tell you what to do. Your principal tells you what to do. You go into youth sports and your coaches tell you what to do. So what happens is when we're young and immature, we long for the day that we can finally stand in a position where we now are in an authoritative role or position over another, so now I can tell him what to do. Or someone that works for a company and works up the chain of command. And sometimes because of their immaturity and lack of wisdom, they don't exercise authority properly once given the opportunity to do so. But when somebody, when a Christian, when a man, if you will, who is a child of God and is a parent, can exercise authority properly in his home, he will raise his children to be in subjection to that authority. He will raise his children in such a way that his children will be obedient to their parents. He will raise children who eventually, and prayerfully this would be the case, that eventually will follow the parental example and guidance that's been given them and obey the Lord. Oh, this is a man who is not a bully. This is a man that is not a tyrant. This is a man that's not even a dictator, no. But he is a man that does exercise his authority, and he does so in three ways. Number one, with firmness, making it advisable for a child to obey. Number two, with wisdom, making it natural for a child to obey. And thirdly, and last and certainly not least, he will do so with love, making it with willingness for a child to obey. You know, I got to freely admit something to you. I am not perfect, as I'm sure I'm not giving you some bit of revelation that you didn't already know, but I am not perfect, and I am not without flaw in any way, shape, or form. And listen, you've heard me preach on the home, and I do it all over, all over the country, and I will to the day that I die because I believe that it's important. I'm hard on fathers because I believe that's important, and I'm hard on me too more than you'll ever know, and that's, a, as they say, a whole nother Oprah. But I'll tell you this. I know that I don't always exercise my authority properly every single time. Because sometimes you get mad and sometimes you fly off the handle and you don't always demonstrate your authority with love. And I have to work on that. So when I preach on the home and I start riding fathers and so on, just know that I'm preaching to me too because I'm not infallible and I'm not perfect in any way, surely, not in that way either. But these are leadership qualities, though. Think about it. To exercise your authority with firmness, wisdom, and love. These are the kinds of authoritative, this is the kind of characteristic that an elder has in the Lord's church. When the Apostle Paul, writing to the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 in verses 4 and 5, he talks about the way that an elder is to demonstrate or exercise his authority over the Lord's house. Interesting, isn't it? You know what Paul says? Paul says that there is something that the elder does before he's ever given the position of an elder, which is the highest, for sake of a better term, or any other way to put it, the highest ranking office, I would, I would simply say, in the Lord's church, before he's given the position of elder, he demonstrates his ability to be an elder by the way that he dispatches his authority in the home. He does that first. 
and foremost, wonderful qualities and characteristics are these. Now back to our text. You know, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus preached a masterpiece. Do you remember early on before Jesus gave the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew? Do you remember the multitudes that followed him? You know, I don't know that some of the multitudes that were following him, as, as one brother says one time, he said one time, he said, you know, some people follow Jesus because they really want to listen to him. And other people follow Jesus and they're only around the Lord's church and they're only around Christians because of the loaves and the fishes. And truly that might be the case. But Jesus was doing some wonderful things. And just maybe he knew that not everybody that was in attendance as a great multitude of people were really truly interested in hearing what he had to say. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's why he departed from the multitude to the mount. And the Bible says when he was set, his disciples were then drawn unto him and he began to preach that masterpiece as found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He preached about things that the world had never heard before. He preached against things that they had heard be a certain way by tradition and by the old law. But then he would speak of other things where the heart of man was under consideration. And the heart of man and the motives behind the actions that we do is now in question. You know, those of us that teach, you ever sit back and think, you know, I've got to have a strong introduction to my sermon because I've got to get their attention. I've got to give them some information. And then I've got to leave them with something that they're going to remember. Or else I can go and I can preach my sermon, they'll leave and they won't know what I said. What a great example. You know what Jesus said in closing to this great sermon? He says, I'm going to say this, as I paraphrase, I'm sure. That whosoever heareth my words and keepeth them. Now he's talking about all the things that he said. Whosoever shall hear my words and keep them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon the rock and when the winds come and the rains come and the storms come and all of that it's going to stand the trials is going to stand the test that is a wise man but Jesus says I'm gonna liken a different kind of man to something that's not so wise he said a man that hears my sayings and keeps them not I will liken him unto a foolish man that goes out and doesn't build his house on the rock. He doesn't build his house on a good foundation. He builds his house on the sand. And when the rains and the winds come, it washes away his house. How foolish that would be. Are we getting the picture, though? The picture is this. Jesus says, because we all know how wise it would be to build on the proper foundation, and we all know how foolish it would be to build on sand. That's what Jesus says for one that hears the words that he speaks or anything that's found in his word right here and keeps them, he's wise, like a man building his house on the rock. But what about those that hear his sayings and decides they're not going to keep them? What about the person that hears the word of God, believes part of it, and then allows other things just to kind of go on by? Oh, that person falls under the category of a foolish man that built his house on the sand. But then in verses 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. 
For he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And then when he came down from the mountain, the Bible says that a great multitude of people were now following him. You know, Matthew records many miracles that Jesus did in demonstration of his authority. When he uh, recorded, when Matthew recorded the Sermon on the Mount, he's showing the authority of Jesus as he spoke those words. The miracles confirmed and demonstrated that authority. And you can just imagine the popularity of Jesus now. Great multitudes of people were following him. And there was one man that followed him, that came to him, that was in a pathetic, pathetic condition. He was a man that was a leper. You know, I, I read a little bit about leprosy. I don't know anyone uh, that's a leper. I don't know that that's common at all. I don't know one way or the other. But I do know the way that the Bible describes it, and I understand about the scales and having it actually turn white. In fact, three Old Testament passages indicate a whiteness of this flaky-type skin, which was disgusting to look upon and very painful. I also read that there were two kinds of leprosy. And I don't know what kind this fella had, but two kinds, one of which, I guess one wasn't as bad as the other, one of which actually was so bad that it would take your life, and it was so awful that people that had it would actually wear a shroud like they were dead already. And they would isolate themselves away from the common folks and away from all the regular people in society, and they would go over here. Well, on the scene, this leper comes to Jesus, and Matthew says he worshipped him. You know, Mark and Luke also record this miracle. And they record one as saying he knelt down at the feet of Jesus, and the other one says he fell down prostrate at the feet of Jesus. Matthew just says he worshipped him. Whatever it was, this was a man that knew of the authority of Jesus, the might of Jesus, and how great he was, and he knew that this man, Jesus, could heal him and cleanse him if he would. And he comes and he bows with reverent respect in a pathetic condition that he's in before Jesus. And he says this to him. He says, Lord, I know that thou can make me clean if thou would. You know, I read a couple scholars about that phrase, if thou would. Some say, and it sounds to me, like what he's saying is, I trust you wholeheartedly. That I know that you're so great, and I know that you have the ability to do this, and I know that you will, if you would. One scholar said, though, that this man doubted whether Jesus would heal him. I don't know that. Sounds to me more like this. This man comes in trusting with a trusting heart and comes to Jesus and says, I know who you are, I'm reverent before you, and I know you can cleanse me, you can make me clean only if you will. That's the only thing that stands in the way is you're deciding to do so. That's how great you are. And Jesus says, I will. And he did the unthinkable. He reaches out and he touches this man, this man that's a leper. And the Bible says from that very moment he was transformed and he was clean, he was cleansed, he was healed in every way like he never had it. And Jesus says, tell no man but go to the priest and so on and offer the gift as given under Moses and so. After he did that though, there was somebody else that came on the scene. You know, Matthew's account 
shows or actually would make us think that this centurion actually came in person to speak to Jesus. And you know, if you only read Matthew's account, you would deduce that. You would come to the conclusion that this man, this man, as Jesus came into Capernaum, this man knew that Jesus was there because that's exactly how Matthew records it. He comes to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick of the palsy. Will you please heal him? But Luke's account says that he sent that the the centurion sent the elders as messengers. You know, there's no contradiction here at all. I'll read to you a couple things that I found along this line because I think that there is no contradiction. It just shows the manner in which this was, uh, uh, the manner in which this was done. The miracle recorded in Luke, the seventh chapter, verses one through 10, is the same one that's recorded here. As Jesus came to Capernaum, this was his home city and was located near the Sea of Galilee. There came unto him a centurion. He did not come in person, but by friends who brought his message. Because Luke says, and when he heard concerning Jesus, he sent him unto the elders of the Jews. It was a common way of expressing what one did through another as though one did it himself. Like this. If I am going to go and ask something of Daryl. And Terry says, Frank asked X of Daryl. You know, there's two ways to interpret that. One, that I went to Daryl and asked that of him specifically, personally, or maybe I sent Ryan. The point is this. The centurion asked of Jesus, Luke kind of sums it up, by means of others who were messengers and brought the message to Capernaum to where Jesus was and said to him that this centurion back there has a servant, maybe even a private servant, someone that was dear to him. In fact, Luke says this man was really close to death. Oh, and this was somebody that was so different than all of the others that were under his command. This was a man that was very dear to him. And notice what happens. The Bible says that Jesus makes the statement or makes the assessment that he's going to do it. He's going to go back to this man's house and he's going to heal this man's servant. And when the centurion hears of it, he says this. He says, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. I'm not worthy that thou shouldest even make the trip. He said, just speak the words only, and my servant shall be healed. Now, if you read Matthew's account, it appears like this man's having a discussion with, with Jesus. If you read Luke's account, it appears that Jesus was heading toward this man's house. And when it was, word got back to the centurion, and the centurion sent, quote, unquote, friends back out to tell Jesus Oh no, I'm not even worthy to come into my house. Just speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Who is a centurion? You know the word century? We get the word, we get hundred from century. It's the century mark. The same word produces this word centurion. This was a man that was of a captain over others and I am told that he was responsible for a hundred soldiers that were under him. 
This was an important man. And this man understands exactly what Jesus is capable of doing. He understands, as he is a man of authority, that he needs to submit to the one that could actually heal his servant. He goes about by saying, go find him and tell him. And then when he finds out Jesus is on the way to do just that, he says, no, I'm not even worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Just speak the words only and my servant shall be healed. And then he continues on and he gives the explanation. He says, because I am a man under authority. And if I tell this man to go, he goes. If I tell this man over here to come, he comes. If I have a servant and I say to my servant, do this, oh, he does it. I know that you have the authority. Just speak the words only and my servant shall be healed. You know, there's a couple interpretations about this idea of what he was actually saying. When the centurion says to Jesus that I am a man of authority too, the two schools of thought are these. Number one, he's saying this. I am saying this because I am in a position of authority with subordinates. And I have the authority over this man, this man, this man, this man, and that man. I don't have to go do the act. I just say it, I speak it, and that's it. And Jesus, I know you are a man of authority too. This time, you have the authority over diseases. You have the authority over death. You have the authority over all of that. All you have to do is speak it, and that's enough. That makes the most sense to me. But another school of thought is this, that this man was saying, even though he, the centurion, had others under him, he was also a man that had to be subordinate to other superior officers. And even though he had others that were over him, he could still tell these others what to do. Here's the point. One scholar said Jesus had no one over him because all authority and all power was given unto him in heaven and earth. And he was saying this to Jesus as, was, as said one scholar. There's nobody over you in this matter. And if I can do it with people over me and I can command people to do what I tell them, surely you can do it over this disease and my servant would be healed. Either way. Either way that that's properly interpreted, this is what we know for sure. Jesus looked and marveled. You know, I, I'm, I am told that only on a couple of occasions did it say that Jesus marveled. He was amazed and he marveled over the faith of this man. And he says, I have not seen so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Supposed people of God. And he said this that thy servant shall be clean or shall be made whole. And he healed him that day. You know, there's many things and many times that we are placed in positions of authority. You know, I gotta just admit something to you. It is amazing how your upbringing has great influences over how you are later in life. Sometimes we rebel against the upbringing and the authority that's over us when we're young. Don't we do that? Usually we do it when we're really young and then we feel bad about it later and hopefully and prayerfully we come to our senses as time goes on and we realize that the authority over us really was pretty wise. But I gotta admit something to you. Where I came from, 
I came from because of my dad's military background before he was a child of God, before he was a Christian. I was raised that if a man that is superior to you says run into that wall, you say hi or low, sir. And that's where I came from. But you know, that's not all bad. That really isn't. If I do what I am instructed to do with a proper heart, and I also demonstrate or exercise the authority I have over others properly as well, the plan always works. The plan always fits. You know, you can get the most out of people without being a tyrant and a bully. You really can. One day we're on the job. I think you've heard this. I'll say it again. It's all right. One day we're on the job, and I asked Ryan, I said, Ryan, what would get the most out of you if I just come in here and just screamed at you or if I told you I appreciated you? And he just kind of joked back with me, playfully being sarcastic. But then the idea was, no, obviously, if you're kind to me and you appreciate me, I'm going to work even harder. Have you ever had somebody over you that was just a tyrant? Man, you couldn't wait. Even though you're a Christian, you couldn't wait till that person got out of your sight. You just couldn't stand the man or the woman. But you have somebody that writes your paycheck, maybe, and that person comes up and says, thank you. Great job. I appreciate you. Goes a long way. I don't know about you, but I like to work for that fella. That's the kind of guy I want to be subordinate to. But understand this, we have authority, we have authoritative structure in our life, and usually the people that are willing to submit to authority are the ones that exercise it the best. That's true. If I am one that is respectful of authority and I submit to it, chances are I'm going to be better at exercising my authority over someone else too. Other men, other examples, and time will not permit us to go into great detail. In the Old Testament, Joshua and Caleb, these two men were soldiers who stand out. They tried to persuade Israel to trust in God and were threatened to death. Numbers 14, 6 through 10. Listen, it takes courage to do what you are commanded to do anyway. It's difficult sometimes. But what if you were threatened with violence? What if this? Oh, we know what Hebrews 10.25 says. What if there was someone standing at the door that was threatening our very life if we did? You know, we don't know what that's like. But other countries do. They know what that's like, I would imagine. I don't know what that, that's like at all. Would you do it then? Would you have the courage to do it then, to submit to the commands that God has given you if it meant your very life? You know what's interesting, though? You know what I really believe? I really do believe this. I believe that most of us, oh, we'd march right in here. Take a bullet if we have to. But the other things, the other things of the flesh, those things are the ones we won't shake. Our own personal I think so's. The things that we consider little things, priorities in life, all of that, those are the ones we don't want to give up. It takes courage to do what God has instructed us to do. 
In the New Testament, Cornelius is another example. A centurion also, a man of authority over others. And one day his piety was recognized. And you remember when the angel of the Lord said, Thy prayers and thine alms are gone up before thee. Now this was a man that had the right heart. He was ignorant, but he had the right heart. He thought he was doing that which was right, and he was trying his very best. It wasn't good enough, but this was a very important man. A centurion of the Italian band. A man that had the authority over a hundred soldiers or better. And he gets, he gets a vision. And the vision said, send men to Joppa and find Peter. Find Peter. Have Peter come and tell you what you must do. We all know the story, but notice what he did. This was a man of command, but notice how he submitted to authority. In responding to the vision in Acts 10, verses 7 and 8, he immediately sends for Peter. He prepared an audience for Peter by gathering relatives and close friends, Acts 10 and 24. He was ready to hear whatever Peter had to say, Acts 10 and 33. And finally, Cornelius and his family were obedient, as implied in Acts 10 and 48, when they were baptized into Christ. One more, though. Our brother preached last Sunday evening in Acts chapter 16. You know what also is found in Acts 16, as he mentioned briefly, was when Paul and Silas were rebuked and beaten for the things that they preached. And they were cast into prison. And you remember as they're shackled there, I don't know about the primitive measure of all that, but they were shackled there and they were in prison. It was nighttime and at midnight they began to sing. And they began to sing praises unto the Lord and pray and so on. And at midnight there was an earthquake. And the earthquake was so great that the doors of the, the prison bars opened up. And all of a sudden, so this Philippian jailer, he looks and he sees the doors open. Oh, and he's scared. He realizes we've got a bad problem here because a, a, a soldier like that that was to watch over or be a guard over someone in prison, if they got loose, you were going to die. So he pulls out his sword and he's about to run himself through. And Paul cries out with a loud voice and says, don't harm yourself, we are here. You know, I've tried to picture it says when he called in for a light and he goes in to see. I kind of picture now a man that was in a position of authority, a mighty man, I don't know, an arrogant man, whatever it was in times past, but now he's trembling and he's carrying the light and he looks inside and there it was, Paul and Silas, they had not left. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, we know the story and they were baptized the same hour of the night. My purpose tonight is certainly not to encourage you or anyone else to enlist in the military, but to suggest that we do well to remember the examples of those that are in the military, understanding that we, need, we are under the authority of Christ. We are people under authority today. Jesus Christ has been given all power and all authority in heaven and in earth. He's been given the authority that demands that we do what he has commanded, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And so in an age marked with permissiveness, it behooves Christians to possess a military attitude regarding authority. We are gauged in a spiritual warfare with Satan 
and all of the influences that he has in life. And he's warring for your soul. He really is the greatest possession that you will ever have. If we don't submit to the authority that's found in the Word of God and submit to the teachings of the Word of God, we not only are casting ourselves aside to be lost in a devil's hell, but also the example that we're setting for those that are watching us, those that we have an influence over, you know, I know this. I know that there is a tremendous responsibility on all of us. I know that. But we have to rise up as the people of God and just submit and humble ourselves to the things that are found in the Bible, whether they're difficult or whether they're not. There are things that you have in your life that are difficult, and they're not difficult for me, and vice versa. I know that too. But we must ever work and strive to submit ourselves to the word of God. Wouldn't it be great if we could at the end of our life. You remember Joshua. 110 years old. You remember as he's taking a look at his life. As it's fading by. And Joshua says this. Choose. He says choose who you are going to serve. We got to make the choice. And we got to decide who are we going to choose. Because it's only one way or the other. And listen, it's only black and white. He said, who are you going to serve? What God are you going to serve? But then he said this, I've made my choice. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One thing, let's not go too fast past that last little phrase. When he said me and my house, he was confident because of the way that he led his house that they would make the right choice too. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If the church is not important to me, it won't be important to my kids. I know that. I know it has to be very important to me. The Lord has to be very important to me in all that we do. And just maybe we can exercise the authority as parents over them in such a way that they will go to heaven one day. Wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine heaven without someone you dearly love? I'm so grateful to God that someday when we get to heaven, I don't know how it's going to work. But I know he's going to do something. I know God's going to do something. Because there's going to be no tears. I know that God is going to figure out a way, whatever he decides to do, where I'm not going to remember those that I have known that are lost. I don't know how that's going to work, but I do know this. As I'm alive today, I can't fathom heaven without people that I love. And I also know that there are people that I, there's nothing that I can do. I have no influence over them. But I know for a fact, I got some influence on two of them. I know that for sure. Got one that's already going there. Got a couple more I want to get there with. I know that for a fact. But what would it be like if we wouldn't submit to the things in God's word and we set the wrong example? And one day, one day we came to ourselves and we thought, you know, I've been so wrong. 
Lord's going to be so important to me for the rest of my life. But your children are grown and it's too late. That's what I think about. Consider those that are subject to your authority by every choice that you make. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.